Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. Now in year three of Steve Eiserman's rebuild in Detroit, he started on the job on April 19th, 2019. Hi, everyone. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from Michigan referee Tim Mayer, who wears number 19 in a tribute to Eiserman. Mayer is now in his 12th season in the AHL, and he just worked the Grand Rapids games this past week against Cleveland. But first, Ted, last night, Jakob Verana scored four goals in the 7-3 win over the Stars, the first Red Wing to score four goals in a game since, ironically, since the player he was traded for, since Anthony Mantha scored four goals on the night that we actually recorded our podcast on opening night before Mantha's four goals against Dallas. It's rather ironic, isn't it, that Verona scores the first Red Wings since Mantha? Against the same team also, the Dallas. Same team, yeah. I'll tell you, it was very impressive. I mean, just the way he scored Mm -hmm. sorts of different ways. Uh, He flashed his speed, that shot. Um. The re going after go, driving to the net and putting back a rebound, uh, using his those deft hands on a redirect. It was mm-hmm. just the four ways he scored were very eyebrow raising, very impressive, and obviously it, it's he's 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 done very well here. He's done in the week that he's been here or whatnot. The week to ten days. You could see the potential he has, the ability he has. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the good thing is, Mantha's playing well in Washington. So both mm-hmm. teams are getting something out of this, a lot out of this. Both players seem to be thriving in the early going in their new destinations. And that's what you, you want to see a trade work out well for both sides. And obviously last night, I think Wings fans so, saw what, Verona is capable of. Verona's final scoring line last night, Ted, four goals, six shots, two takeaways, and 15.07. And after the game, here's what he had to say about his record-breaking night. We're trying to build something here. We're trying to, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's some young guys uh, coming into the league. They, they you know, they're getting to know the league. They, uh, they're learning. We're all learning here. And, and you know, we, we, we uh, trying to trying to get better, trying to work on things uh, we can do better out there. Uh, little things, uh, little details out there we, we can do uh, for sure better. Uh, I can say that um, work ethic, everyone has work ethic here. Everyone is going out there and, and, and work hard, trying to trying to win every battle, trying to work for every inch out there. And, and uh, you know, that can create uh, create us uh, a momentum like uh, like the day it did. And, and uh, you know, just uh, day by day, uh, Trying to trying to work on something. Ted, how about uh, Verona's humility there? Talking about the team, almost a little bit sheepish about his accomplishments and 
not talking about those skills that you were mentioning earlier, the deft hands and the speed. And what are your thoughts about the way he's handled everything? He seems to be fitting in well to the locker room. He made a point of saying that a few times that he's really been comfortable the way everybody's reacted to him in the organization, uh, made him feel right at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I just, it, it seems to be a good fit so far on and off the ice. Uh, well, I tell you, I can see, I'm sure a lot of fans were pretty excited when him and Zadina came down on that two-on-one on the first goal. Uh, I think in their dreams, there's going to be a lot of those types of situations, and you wonder if they could form some sort of chemistry on a line there. Uh, it's been a good fit. I think maybe deep down he realizes he need, realized he needed a change. Things had stagnated in Washington, so... He seems pretty excited and pretty enthusiastic about joining the Wings organization. Ted, another player who had a good game last night, filling in for Dylan Larkin on the top line was six foot six, two hundred and thirty pound Michael Rasmussen. He was plus two, six hits, two shots, two block shots, fifty percent on faceoffs. He hasn't picked up a point in his last three games, but that 200-foot game, that abrasive style, his calm demeanor, his professional approach. Here he is talking to you, Ted, earlier this month about his improved play. Michael, this time it just feels or looks so different for you since you've been up. I mean, why is this particular stretch, why have you been so effective this time when you've been up? What do you think has been the difference? A lot. Just growing. Um, Just growing in in my game and uh, growing as a person and – yeah, not, not a whole lot. I think I'm just, uh, you know, trying to get better every day and, um, you know, really get lifted up by the guys in the room here. And, um, yeah, that, that's, that's about it. I can't put a finger on it, but I'm just having fun playing hockey, so it's good. Is, this, is it safe to say this is the best you felt probably since you've been in the league? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, think, I think definitely physically. I mean, I've battled some injuries and whatnot, so, um, you know, that's never fun and it never, um, you know, brings your best game out. So I feel healthy. I feel strong. Um, mentally feel good so yeah Ted what do you make of Rasmussen for say next year on a healthy team with Tyler Bertuzzi back maybe playing on a top line with Dylan Larkin and maybe Jakob Verana or maybe Philip Zadina Robbie Fabry's in the mix there maybe on the second line where does that leave Rasmussen in the mix what's his upside do you think I'll tell you Mark I've been pleasantly surprised or impressed by the way he's played here the last several weeks and this is the type of player the wings envisioned when they drafted him uh just a big he's added a little bit more physicality Mm -hmm. to his game i kind of think uh giving him he's playing with a little bit of an edge i mean you see a lot of little minor scrums out there with with him involved in it i like the way he's played i mean he's definitely cemented himself into the future here um he's a force around the net with that type of size and strength uh the skating it's still who knows if the skating will ever be elite or mm-hmm. taking another step but boy he's got a lot of other attributes to his game that, that can make him a very efficient very productive player for the wings so yeah i mean he's really fortified himself a position for next season he's really progressed this season are you surprised a little bit about the burst of speed jeff blashell talks about being able to move with and without the puck, give and go, and uh, maybe not getting off to as a quick a start. But once he starts moving, the two assists against Carolina, like you said, Ted, um, and that abrasive style, like 
and, and going back to the bench as if he, he knows what he's doing. And I think they almost follow Steve Eiserman's lead there that they're not overreacting and getting too high when these things are happening because he knows how difficult it is to get this chance. And he probably knows too, there's only so many opportunities and um, like Philip Zadina, who you profiled in the paper this week, they really are playing both ends of the rink and, and really making strides, aren't they? Yeah, I tell you, my friend, I mean, they really, I mean, I think a lot of fans are starting to get somewhat pessimistic about some of these first rounders, maybe especially more so like with the Svechnikovs and the Rasmussens and mm-hmm. skis, wondering about if they're ever going to pan out. I think the jury still might be out on Svechnikov and Chalowski to a certain extent, but Rasmussen, I think he's definitely bridged the gap here. I think he's going to be a piece going forward. Just the mm-hmm. showing a lot of attributes. Uh, and for his part, I think Chalowski has looked better on this call since he was called up here most recently. I think there's been a little bit more calmness in his game. I mean, there's been flaws defensively, no question. I can remember a couple in the Dallas series when the the games were in Dallas. But at the same time, there has been a little bit more, somewhat more progression in his game. Svechnikov, you still kind of wonder. I actually kind of think he's shown well in spots, but I guess the consistency factor is from what the organization wants still isn't there. Uh, We'll have to wait and see, but. No, I, I think there is a base now, uh, just a few more people they can somewhat depend on going forward and a few more pieces, blocks for this rebuild, for rebuilding job. Okay, time now for our interview segment. As I mentioned earlier, our special guest is AHL referee Tim Mayer. Joining us now is Tim Mayer, a Michigan native and Michigan State grad, now in his 12th season as a referee in the American Hockey League. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. I talked to your dad, Dennis Mayer, who was an NCAA women's basketball official for 25 years. He was born in Detroit, was the recreation director at MSU for 38 years, taught a class at Northern Michigan even with Tom Izzo in his class. You're Family friends included Major League Baseball umpire Tim McClellan and NFL referee Ron Winter. In fact, your dad said he named you after Tim McClellan. So given this officiating background, Tim, is it any wonder you're an official and arguably the second best hockey league in the world? (laughs) Well, I've been very fortunate, Mark, but yeah, it almost seems like the road was already paved for me. So I've enjoyed it. I was fully immersed in it. Um, Yeah probably at a pretty young age, um, was never pushed towards it or, you know, forced to get into it. It's something that I wanted to do that interests me. And I just, I started pursuing it at the age of 15 and now what, almost 25 25 years later, I'm still doing it and still enjoying it. On an earlier podcast, Tim, we talked to Wes McCauley, another MSU grad who has worked over 1,000 NHL games, regular season games, and 165 games in the playoffs, including eight Stanley Cup finals. He's the son of an official, too. His dad officiated over 400 regular season games before an eye injury ended his career. And, you know, Wes said that his dad had three rules for officiating. 
He said, call the match penalties, call the scoring opportunities, and call the obvious foul that everyone sees. So match penalties, scoring opportunities, and the obvious foul. What are some of the principles that you've learned over the years, not just from your, uh, not just from your family and Tim McClelland and others, but also through that nearly 25 years of officiating experience, Tim? Um, well, Wes is right on. Obviously, he's the best in the business and uh, tons of experience, lots of uh, achievements for him. Um, and so I, I think, obviously, those are three important um, things. Uh, the game has changed and evolved um, a bit, but I think um, what what I look for in officiating um, a game uh, are very, very similar to that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I would, the things I would highlight um, if I was talking to a young official is uh, reiterate what Wes said, any scoring opportunity. Okay. Um, that's something that we want to, you know, you don't want to miss that. You want to, you want to grab that. Um, anything dangerous. So again, um, basically the match penalty but any dangerous hit or dangerous play that is a foul you know that's important we can't that's something that we can't miss um i would say anything nowadays um a change of possession um whether uh you know it's a restraining foul or uh you know a more violent foul but that changes uh that causes a change of possession um, where an infraction is present, we, mm -hmm. we have to get that. So change of possession is another one. Um, and then I think any, uh, when we look at, you know, the officiating as a whole, anything that's blatantly obvious, right? We can't miss, unfortunately, um, you know, with sight lines and things of that nature, but anything that's, that's obvious, that's blatantly obvious, we can't miss those either. So I think going in, um, those are things that I really, you know, we try and, uh, you know, have a pregame meeting and talk before the game. But those are the ones that, you know, we really, we, we can't miss those. That's what we're out there for. Tim, you've talked about having really no regrets uh, with your career in the American Hockey League. You said you've skated hard every night. You've tried to give your best uh, to be honest and to be a good teammate. You worked in the Olympics. And you say that you've helped a lot of people. Um, in fact, your dad said that oftentimes when, when officials get called up to the NHL, you'll, you'll call them and, and congratulate them on, on moving up. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are about, about not making it to the NHL and about uh, helping out others uh, or playing a role perhaps or at least congratulating them as well when they, when they make the move up to the show. Um, well, I just think that that's important. And there's been a lot of people that have helped me through the years and been supportive to me. And I'll never, ever forget that. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I've had some big moments and stuff like that, um, I've gotten phone calls and text messages and emails. And it means a lot. Like, you know, it really does mean a lot. And so I've always and I was taught that, you know, obviously from my mom and my dad, and um, also from you know, people that I've really respected in the hockey world. Um, and I think it goes a long way. And it's not only, um, I've gone uh, to a few guys' first NHL games. I've been able to go to the game um, and, oh. and be there to support them. Um, I've, uh, when guys do, you know, when I see them on TV, I'll take a picture of them on TV and, you know, try and, and say, hey, listen, you're doing a great job. 
keep it up. I love watching you. Um, I think that that's important because I know what it's like to be an official. And sometimes you're, you know, you're out on an island by yourself. You're traveling by yourself. Um, you know, we don't get the recognition um, like the players and the coaches and things like that. So I think that that, you know, that that's important. And even more so, um, just in the officiating community, um, we have some very good up and coming women officials in Grand Rapids and they were selected to work the women's world championships. And, you know, I wanted to send them, um, you know, congratulations as well. So I picked up the phone and, and got in touch with them and said, Hey, this is a really great achievement. Um, uh, feather in your cap. You should be really proud of yourself. You know, keep working. Um, I had multiple, multiple friends work the frozen four. Um, for the NCAA. And, you know, so I, I wanted to, you know, I reached out to them and said, hey, this is a, a great honor, um, you know, a great achievement. You should be really proud of yourself. I'll be watching, watching you on TV. Um, and guys who get their first professional hockey league games or guys who, you know, work grassroots and now they're working in the mm -hmm. USHL or whatever it might be. Um, you know, it doesn't have to always be the National Hockey League. Um, but yeah, it, it's really, it's great for me to see the guys in the American League that I've worked with um, and that have had success and, and they get called up to the, to the National Hockey League. And um, to say, hey, listen, hopefully there was something or some night or some situation that I might have helped them with, um, you know, to prepare them for, for, you know, for that level of hockey, or, you know, even if it was asking me questions about rules or situations or something, um, hopefully I impacted them in some positive way, um, you know, that helped them reach their goal. And that's kind of, I think, um, in a way, what my job is, I like to at least think so. Um, it's no different than some of our really good uh, veteran players. Um, mm -hmm. I'll use Grand Rapids for an example, but you have guys there um, for long periods of time, like a Nathan Pache or a Brian Lashoff um, or a Matt Ford. Um, yeah, those that, are good examples. Yeah. That, you know, are really good people. I know they're good teammates. They're good veteran guys that play the game the right way. And I, you know, just in talking to equipment guys and trainers and stuff, you know, they, they, they lead by example. And um, so Detroit wants to have their young guys learn how to be pros and develop and watch these guys day in and day out to see what it takes to be a professional, what it takes to be successful. Um, and those guys have had really, really, you know, they've played some games in the NHL, but they've had really, really mm -hmm. good pro hockey careers, but, but it's been in the American hockey league, but they're, they're, they're a great example to those young prospects that are coming up, you know, and they, and they groom those players. Well, obviously I'm not on that level, but I'd like to say, you know, that I've had a hand in helping, you know, almost show the guys the way and how things, you know, communicating with players and coaches or, you know, how to deal with certain situations or it might be learning how to travel, 
Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's a big part of our job or, you know, things of that nature, um, that it's just, it's very rewarding for me. Um, you know, and I know it's funny to hear people say that, but sometimes, you know, I've really, I've cherished that role now that I've played in the American league now for quite a few years and I've just kind of fully embraced it. That's my job. That's what I'm there to do. I'm not going anywhere. Um, and it's something that I enjoy doing. I still love to go to the rink every day. And, um, you know, I've been very blessed with a lot of fun things in my career. And so hopefully I'm just giving something back now. Have you given up any thoughts of getting to the NHL? You're 37. You've been in the minors for 12 years. Has retirement, you've talked about it before, Tim, possibly retiring. Where are you now at age, at age 37? Um, well, I'll add to that because actually, you know, working um, for the SPHL and the Central Hockey League and the mm-hmm. ECHL and the United League before I even ever got to the American League for 12 years. So it's been quite a few more years than that in the minors. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I even knew before um, I was going to the Olympics, I was in my, I would say, early, early 30s, um, and I knew there was absolutely no chance um, anymore of myself moving on. So I would say I've worked the last, um, for sure, six six seasons at least, okay. um, knowing that um, I'm a full-time American League official, and that's that's the end of the line. So that's you know, I've had a lot of opportunities with the International Ice Hockey Federation that's gave me some, some pretty cool um, experiences and have opened my eyes to some new opportunities in hockey. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've known that, uh, that I wasn't going to go, you know, be an NHL referee for quite some time now. You've talked about, you know, enjoying the journey, not the destination, but what was it like at the time when you were wondering, you know, do I have to skate better do I have to be in better position like the supervisors they're there to help out and sometimes you know you guys aren't always on the same page but you listen and you take advice I'm just wondering what your thoughts are when you look back and say I gave it my best shot at that time yeah no and and that's you know I again those were, were lessons that I picked up actually playing sports is um I, I don't have any regret at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always tried to do the very best I can do. And I still go out every single night um, because, and I've heard guys say this before, whether it's a guy who's played, you know, a thousand games in the ECHL or whatever. And um, Sammy Fatorik, I remember played in Kalamazoo and he said that he's like, no, this is my NHL. Like mm-hmm. this, this, this is my NHL. And that's the way, you know, when that happened, was I, was I disappointed? Um, was I, you know, questioning some things? Was, you know, was I angry? Was I, uh, you know, I just a lot of emotions and feelings, um, at that time. Uh, cause you kind of, you put your life on hold. I've always, um, have an, had another job, um, but it was, you know, something I kind of put life on hold a mm-hmm. little bit to try and make the National Hockey League, and it didn't happen for me. Now, there are countless uh, number of friends and other people that I know that did the same exact thing as me, and it worked out for some, but for many, it doesn't work out. Um, the, the 
life experiences and the friendships that I've made and the places that I've been um, and everything. That's what, you know, that's the most important uh, thing to me. Um, and that's, you kind of spin it that way um, or else you're going to, you're going to drive yourself crazy um, because life isn't fair. Uh, and so, you know, not everyone can, can make the NHL. The numbers are so small mm -hmm. um, for officials that actually get to make it there. And so you need to just relish the opportunities and the assignments and the places that you get to go. You need to enjoy all those things um, and realize like, Hey, it's not the end of the world. Um, I've had a lot of friends that, you know, still enjoy officiating and they work the NCAA hockey and they work games on Fridays and Saturdays and that's mm -hmm. it. And they live a you know regular life because they still enjoy officiating. Um, I have plenty of friends that still work uh, minor league hockey or, you know, whatever it might be, or a guy like myself who, you know, I have a regular day job and it's flexible. And so I still work the American League full time and I still love to do it. Um, so in saying that, I'm getting to the end. I, I, it's, we kind of talk about it, some of the older guys in the dressing room. It's just we have so much fun. And it's not only what's happening for those 60 minutes, you know, between the glass. I, sure. it's, that's fun to me. But it's, it's, it's everything else that goes into it is why you do it is to see your friends and uh, be with the guys because uh, when guys retire from hockey, they say, you know, they don't, they don't miss going to practice. They don't miss necessarily playing games. <laughs> they probably miss the competing, um, but they miss the guys in the locker room. They miss the, the friendships and the relationships. And, you know, that's, you talk to, you know, guys that retire from the NHL and that's what they miss most. And I think that that's very, very similar in officiating wise, it's a brotherhood. Um, you get close to those guys, you develop relationships and they last for a lifetime. And so I am getting towards the end. I would, I would confidently like to say if we can have a normal year next year, right, um, right. minus COVID and have fans and the whole experience, uh, which makes it, you know, a lot more fun, uh, to go to the rink. It, that would probably be it for me. Um, I'd like to stay involved. I've talked with uh, USA Hockey and Scott Zelkin, who runs the USHL, and Keith Cabal, who runs the North American League, and um, Steve Thompson, who runs the ECHL, um, and Joe Ernst. And I would like to get into supervising and mm -hmm. try and continue to help younger officials and and you know basically coach them and point them in the right direction to be as successful as they can be. I, I, that would be really a lot of fun for me. And again, very rewarding. And um, also the, the giving back piece, because there was a lot of guys that helped me along the way. And I would like to, to give back and, and do the same. And then, you know, still stay involved in the game of hockey and still stay involved in officiating and, and, and be around, um, you know, because I'm going to miss that. That supervisor role sounds like it's right up your alley, and it's something that you're looking at too, right? You have lots of options. Is that the way you look at it? You have your business as well in Grand Rapids, the parking lot paint striping business. Uh, that's been working. You have that. You're still in the second best league in the world, and then you have this potential career ahead of you, right? Yeah, I mean, and I'm very fortunate. Uh, 
because really there aren't that many supervisor jobs as well. And it's just something that I would love to get involved with. And, um, you know, through the years, I have taught a lot of different seminars or um, training camps, uh, different things like that. And I've always really, really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's being around the guys is just, it's a special thing. And yeah, if I can quote unquote, part some wisdom on, you know, some younger officials or help them in any way possible, like people helped me, um, that would be great. And I am in a unique position where I think, see, I'd be fresh coming off the ice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I know a little bit more of what they want uh, now and what they're looking for and all those types of things because um, you know I, I wouldn't be off the ice long if I can you know transition and kind of jump to that and uh, I think it I hope would like to try and be a really valuable resource for those younger guys. So what is it about officiating kind of as we wrap up that um, you talk about this brotherhood, the fraternity, but what is it about this officiating your life? Your your father now, of course, is a regional advisor as well. So he's helping out. He's been, well, you know, he said back when he started to uh, Tim that one reason he took the job with the women's game and saw them evolve how fast that game became is because there was more money at the time for him to do you know division one big 10 games as opposed to division two or division three so it's just an interesting occupation that people wind up at and then here you are you know your dad the mcclellan story so maybe you could just sort of summarize your thoughts about this life that you've lived yeah well i think it's really unique in the fact that it takes a certain person to be a referee to be an official to be an umpire Mm -hmm. it takes a certain person to do our job um i've said that many times and um in saying that the it's it's the same who i am or who i have to be Sure. At times on the ice is totally different than, you know, we are off the ice. And that goes with players and coaches the same, the same way. Um, but in saying that, um, my best friends, they're, they're all officials. There's all, they're all guys that I, that I met through officiating and they're just, they're really good people. And I think that that's what I take away is the most important thing. And when you, develop relationships with with people and you know it just seems like we're it being an official you have to be approachable you have to have good communication skills um you you know you you have to learn how to you know manage situations and all those types of really difficult things whether it's a hockey game or life and you know we all support each other. We're there for each other. Cause when you're going into a game, whether it's a three man game or a four man game, the only guys that you can, you know, at the end of the day, really trust and know that, you, you know, you're there for each other. Or, you know, if something goes wrong, when you can really lean on people are those guys in the room that, that you're lacing them up with it, it, those guys. And when you go through certain whether it could be a travel experience or an in-game situation or, you know, something off the ice, on the ice, doesn't even matter. When you can really, um, you know, 
trust those people and mm-hmm. lean on those people and, and go to those people. Um, that's really where it, it just, it, it's, it's a brotherhood. It's a fraternity. Um, the hockey world is small. The officiating hockey world is even smaller. And you, those people are so important um, in life that you just, you, you gravitate to those people and it makes it, you know, best friends for life when you, you know, I try and explain it to people that have not officiated before. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I can't even explain it. Um, (laughs) It's just something that you have to experience. Um, And that could be on any level as well. Um, You know, it doesn't have to, not exclusive because whether it be local hockey officials or sports officials or um, professionals or collegiate officials, I think that it's, it's all the same. It's just that camaraderie that you have with those people. Um, It just, yeah, it's kind of almost unexplainable. Mm -hmm. Tim, thanks for your time today, talking about your family's background and officiating. And of course, best of luck for the rest of the year in the American hockey league. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, Tim. Thanks for having me, Mark. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to actually meeting you in person down the road. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thanks again, Tim. Our thanks again to AHL referee Tim Mayer. Ted, seven games left and so many players playing for new contracts. Jeff Blaschel coaching for his job. Prospects like Gustav Lindstrom, you mentioned Chalosky, Giovanni Smith getting ice time. Here's what Steve Eisenman had to say after the trade deadline about playing the young players the rest of the way. Yeah, there are, you know, in particular with uh, 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 Dennis or, uh, or Smitty or, um, or uh, Gustav Lindstrom, is those players, uh, one, are third-year pros, what, uh, two, um, would be required, are required to be protected, and three would need waivers next year. So it's a good opportunity for us to see see how they're doing and 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 make decisions on where they fit next year, where they fit in relation to the expansion draft, uh, and our roster for next year, and prepare us for the off season. So there's a lot of a lot of reasons, and one they've worked hard, and they're in their third years. It's uh, give them some opportunity here as well. So a lot of reasons to to see some of these young kids up here. Ted, what do you make about some of those players? You mentioned Chalosky. He's played nine games, no points, minus one. Lindstrom, six games, three assists, plus one. Giovanni Smith has played 15 games, four points, minus four with Grand Rapids. Joe Valeno is waiting in the wings. What do you think these final seven games might look like? Well, I mean, there are everybody has something to play for. I mean, it sounds, it's so much a cliche, but mm-hmm. it really is true. I mean, so yeah, players are playing for contracts. Like you said, Blaschel, who knows what's going to happen in that situation. And some of the younger players have a chance to establish themselves. And these are important games, I think, especially for Chalowski and Lindstrom. I mean, there will be an issue come expansion draft time this summer. I, I don't think there's any scenario where you can protect both of them, really. So mm-hmm. two young defensemen will likely be exposed. Um, no, I mean, it's just, I, I think this is I, – I, we were talking about it in the press box the other night. Look, it's not a huge major issue, but – I think deep down, I think everybody in the organization would love to finish ahead of Columbus and not finish in last place. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the season they had last last season and 
you know, the last five or six years have been such a downtrodden time. I think everybody in your organization would love to finish ahead of Columbus in the standings, maybe catch another team possible. Doubt that. But as long as you can finish not in last place, I think that would be progress for the organization in this season and the, the job they've done. Well, officially, uh, the Wings did pass uh, yeah, the Columbus last the week. night. Yeah. yeah, the Blue Jackets yeah. have lost five in a row, and the Wings are two up. Uh, they played. Oh, there you go. And there's three games, I, I believe, left with Columbus here. So, in a way, <laughs> big games right there. And I, I, I do think it's a little something. I think, you know, you finish ahead of Columbus. I don't think a lot of people would have expected that at, mm-hmm. at the start of the season. So, yeah, there is something to play for, no question. And finally, we mentioned Tyler Bertuzzi earlier. He's officially out for the final seven games. Here's Coach Jeff Blaschel talking to you about Bertuzzi's lost season. Well, just circling back to Bert, I mean, it had a frustrating season for him this year, hasn't it been? I mean, got going really well, and then for this to happen, I mean, don't want to call it a lost season, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, it is close, Ted. You know, and, and you know when you when you're got a shortened season to begin with, and you lose the majority of the shortened season, that's a that's a you know, it is there is a degree to which it's a lost year, and and that's the, you know, I guess that is a great reminder for all of us. And I don't know that we need this right now, but you know how special every every day is, how special every game is, and and um, you know, and and it's been unfortunate for Bert, and um, you know, I think the focus right now for Bert is getting himself. Uh, so he's healthy at the at the start of next season, and uh, you know I know he'll work hard with our medical staff uh, to try to get himself in that position. And Ted, what do you think Bertuzzi might be worth in the off season? He signed that one year deal for three point five million. That ranks sixth on the team. Larkins at six one, Stahl five seven, Nielsen five point two, DeKaiser five, Grice three point six. Bertuzzi played just the nine games, seven points after back-to-back 21-goal seasons. And there's only two players signed beyond next year, right? Larkin and Panic, who could be available in the expansion draft. Do you think signing Bertuzzi will be a little easier this time? And what can we expect from Bertuzzi when we don't really know the nature of his injury? Well, that's the thing, my friend. It would be all speculation at this point as far as all the financials. I mean, let's see exactly what the injury is. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody knows. They haven't. The organization hasn't, hasn't told anybody what uh, what the situation injury is. Uh, I think there's a lot of speculation. It is somewhat back related. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it's going to be. He lost a season essentially, like we talked about with Blashill. There, it's basically a lost season. It, it was unfortunate because he was. He started the season great. I mean, he was one of the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even after he had been gone for a few weeks, he was still <laughs> team leaders and goals. And they really did miss his grit and his versatility there. Uh, let's see exactly what the story is. They'll sign him somehow, some way, and he'll be back. But the big, point, the big question is, what, kind, what is the injury and how long will he be sure. ready for training camp? I mean, those are the big questions, I think, going forward. So that'll do it for today's podcast, episode 51. You can check all of our Red Wings coverage at DetroitNews.com, and you'll also find Ted's stories 
our photos and videos on our Octopulse Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram stories, and Snapchat. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.